Hey, make some noise for Memphis Night, too. Amen. Memphis Night in the building. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Memphis Night. Memphis, 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 Memphis. We love Memphis. We love Tony Allen. We love John Morant. Anybody Grizzlies fans, right? Amen. Gotta be Grizzlies fans. I'm talking about. Yes, yes. Memphis Tigers. Amen. That's right. A little stronger presence for the Grizzlies. Probably rightfully so. But, oh gosh, that's shots fired. But we love Memphis. We love our city. And we want to invest in our city. And it's cute. It's fun to say. And, and we love all of you look great. So much Memphis in the room tonight. All of you look great. But we want to love our city as best as we can. If you have your Bible, open up with me to Genesis 41. Genesis 41. Now, this is the third week in our Joseph mini-series. As a part of the series, it's not about me as a whole. You remember early on we talked about the concept of it's not about me and it's not about religion. We talked about Galatians 2.20, what it looks like to die to self, uh, to now allow the Holy Spirit to live and guide and direct our lives. We've, we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. We talked about some hard things. Uh, we did the it's not just sex panel. We talked about it's not just a ring. Uh, the first one in Joseph, we talked about it's not just a pit. You'll be very familiar. We talked about the four pits that Joseph's brothers fell into that led them to committing almost murder. And selling their brother into slavery. And then last week we talked about, it's all about trust. We talked about trusting the Lord. Joseph went through a lot in his life. Did he not? Yes. Joseph went through a lot. And a lot of it was trials. A lot of it was hard. A lot of it wasn't easy. He got beaten up. He got betrayed. He was lied against and falsely accused. Joseph went through a lot of stuff. And last week we talked about how Joseph has to trust the Lord in the midst of all of his trials. Now, I know that everybody has been through a trial. If you have breath in your lungs, you've been through a trial. If you still have breath in your lungs, you're going to have another trial. Trials happen. Battles happen. Stuff like what we see in Joseph's life well over 3,000 years ago happens today in our lives too. You tell me what's outdated about betrayal. <laughs> Is that outdated? Do we not see people we love betray us the way Joseph's brothers betrayed him? You tell me what's outdated about Potiphar's wife falsely accusing Joseph. Do we not see false accusations today? We see it prevalent all in our country. So it's amazing how God's word continues to speak into the culture no matter how long it's been. Amen? God's word is our ultimate authority. Now tonight, I'm very excited about the title and the sermon's going to be a little different. I want you to write down the title. The title of the sermon tonight is Joseph. It's all about grit, grind, and grain. Yeah, amen. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. I got excited when I put together this title, but you don't have to be. It's fine. I was excited enough about it. My wife was excited about the title. Grit, Grind, and Grain. Somebody else in the back is excited about it. Grit, Grind, and Grain. We're all familiar with the Grit and Grind Grizzlies. Uh, who, wh who were those four Grizzlies, the core four? I'm looking at Trey right there. Who were those core four Grizzlies? Can you name them? Mike Conley. Boom. Zebo, Boom. Tony Allen. Grace Goble's like, uh, uh, just kidding. Tony Allen and Mark Gasol, the Grizzlies, were an amazing team right here in the city for a while. They're great now, but the grit and grind era was fantastic. And this passage we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at a time where Joseph literally, watch this, sorry, he grits and he grinds, and he stores up grain for seven years in anticipation of a famine. Now, there's some of Joseph we're going to skip through in his story. I'm going to summarize it for you, and we're not going to read it all. But I want you to understand, this is a huge passage, passage where Joseph works for the Lord. He grinds for the Lord. Now let me catch you up, and we're going to jump right into it, because this sermon is going to be a little different. This is an inductive sermon. It's very different than the other sermons I've done. I'm not going to give you the main point at the beginning. Grit and grind and all that stuff is cute. I'm not going to give you the main point at the beginning. A lot of times last week I give you trust, and we walk through what it looks like to trust the Lord. I'm not going to give you the main point tonight. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through the text, and the points that we have are going to build together to show the narrative of Scripture, and then it's also going to show how God functions, how God operates. So you got to pay attention. you got to pay attention. I'm not just laying it out for you at the beginning. you got to pay attention and watch the story to try to see what is God teaching us. Now, we find Joseph in another crazy situation tonight. What we know about Joseph, let me catch you up here in the passages that follow before this. Joseph was given dreams that we read a few weeks ago about God putting him in a place of leadership, in a place of authority. And immediately after God gave him a dream about rising, he had a fall. He was thrown into a pit. And we all agree that oftentimes when God gives us our call, it's immediately followed by a trial. A trial does not contradict God's call. It oftentimes complements God's call. And so we see that happen now. His brothers betray him. They throw him into the pit. They sell him into slavery. He works in Potiphar's house. It does well. Last week we talked about Potiphar's wife lies about him. He doesn't give in to sin. He doesn't give in to temptation. But still he ends up in prison. Now what we haven't read, what we're going to fast forward through, 
is that while in prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of some of the other prisoners. And these prisoners are high up, and they grant, they are able, over a series of years, they give Joseph FaceTime with Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And so Joseph now finds himself in a situation where he was left in prison for a while, but when he comes face to face with Pharaoh, he's met with the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh doesn't know the meaning of it. And Joseph, through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his gift set, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He does what none of the magicians in Egypt could do. None of the fortune tellers could do. He, by the power of God, it surpasses every other worldly power. How many of you know that the power of God surpasses every worldly power? Amen? Let me say something. For revival to truly break out, we need more than just a cohesive group of talented people. We need the supernatural power of God. Amen? It's more than just you willing your way to walk with God. You have to get into the spirit and walk with God. There is no willpower that overcomes temptation. It's the Spirit's power that overcomes temptation. We need supernatural resources from heaven to accomplish what God has given us. When you don't pray, when you don't read, when you're not walking with the Spirit, you're not walking in that power God wants to give you. You're trying to will your way through the Christian life. Let me tell you something. If it's up to willpower, your willpower will fail. Spirit power will not fail. So Joseph does what none of the magicians could do. Just like God will do what no politician in America can do. God will do what no professor can do. You have professors in college that tell you evolution is real and that we came from gorillas. I got news for you. God will show himself once again just as he did at the Red Sea. Just as he did through Christ on the cross. God will once again show that he is the supreme ruler. The second coming of Jesus is coming. God will do what no man can do. Joseph, through the power of God, does what no other magician or fortune teller in Egypt could do. And once that happens, Pharaoh puts Joseph into a real position of authority. Highly likely that he spent, let me look at this, make this right, probably three years in prison and 13 years in Potiphar's house. That's a long amount of years from when God first gave him his calling to now where he is actually in Position of authority. And so look with me at verse 37 as we begin working through this. And we're going to see how God operates. We're going to see what the text has for us tonight. Every point, as always, comes straight from Scripture. Starting in verse 37. The proposal, which this is just as Joseph has interpreted his dreams and proposed, that they save up grain for seven years in anticipation of a seven-year famine where they would not have food and they would not have grain. The proposal Joseph gives to Pharaoh pleases Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, this is a very important verse right here. We're going to come back to this verse. Can we find anyone like this? Pharaoh asks. A man who has God's spirit in him. That's a huge verse in the scripture. Underline that in your Bible if you have a pen. Can we find anyone who has God's spirit in him? Woo! So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed, look at this, it's very important, underline this verse as well. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and servants called out before him, make way. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Excuse me, let's keep going a little bit more. Verse 44, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Now that is some authority. Will you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for creating us. God, we thank you that we did not happen upon this earth by chance, by coincidence. God, we thank you that time didn't create us, that evolution didn't create us, but that we have been designed, and every design demands a designer. And God, we thank you that you are our designer, that you are our creator, that you are Elohim, the strong creating one. And Lord, right now, we call out on Jehovah, we call out on the great I am. We call out on Jesus asking that you would come into this room and have your way with us. Speak to us. Encourage us. Call us to repent. 
Call us to holiness. Call us to boldness, God. We pray right now you would be in this room. God, the, the devil is binded in the name of Jesus from this place. Distractions and discouragement have no place here. God, we pray that you would speak. God, who cares what I have to say? We want to hear what you have to say. Father, speak now. I pray that you would save people across this room. I pray that you would encourage people across this room. I pray that you would convict people across this room, myself included. Lord, move tonight. It's in your precious son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down. I'd love for you to take notes as well. Number one, what we see here is that God put his spirit on Joseph. Number one, the first thing we see in this narrative is that God put his spirit on Joseph. Joseph has been promoted prime minister of the state. He's promoted on the spot and now is in second command over all of Egypt. Now, I want you to understand. Let's dig a little bit. We're going to dig tonight. We are going to dig into the Holy Spirit tonight. Please don't miss what I have for you tonight. I believe God has something for you, and we're going to dig tonight. We're going to try to go as deep as we can into this, into the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 that you underlined. I want you to understand something. Verse 38 is the first mention of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone in the Bible. Did you know that? That right there, verse 38, is the first mention of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone in the Bible. And if one thing is true of Joseph, if we've looked at his brother's life and watched him, one thing that we know is true of Joseph is that the Spirit of God is on him. You ever been around somebody like that? The Spirit of God is on this man. Everywhere he goes, he has favor. Everywhere he goes, he might find himself in a trial, but that trial has not overtaken his joy. Every time we find Joseph, God is making him successful. Now, not always by the world standards. It says that he was made successful in prison. No one in here would say prison is a successful place to be, would you? But what we see is that God's favor is on Joseph when he's in prison, when he's being falsely accused, or when he's in a pit. This brother has the Holy Spirit of God upon him right now. It's noticeable. People take notice. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around somebody that you can tell is filled with the Holy Spirit of God? I guess I'm talking to an empty room. I need to turn around like Brother Steve did. I'll ask the band back here. Have you ever been around somebody that you can tell is filled with the Holy Spirit of God? It's noticeable. Isn't it noticeable, Zach? Can't you tell when people are filled with the Holy Spirit of God? If we are truly, I want to ask you a question. I'm serious. If we have the Holy Spirit of God as Christians living in us, shouldn't it be noticeable? People notice when you have bad breath. It don't take long before somebody realizes you got bad breath. All you got to do is get a little close to them. People realize when you buy a new outfit. Paul walked in with a bubble coat last week and everybody was complimenting this man. You he was like on cloud nine, GQ. People notice when you get a new pair of J's, when you get a pair, new pair of shoes, they're like, oh, man, I love your outfit. I love your shoes, man. It looks so good. Man, my question is, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, shouldn't people catch on? <laughs> but oftentimes, you can't tell a Christian from a lost person. Oftentimes, we look at Christians and we really don't know if they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We really don't know. And when you look at the life of Joseph, you see Joseph walk in the Spirit of, the God, of God. The Spirit is upon this brother. And I want to tell you something. If you are a Christian today, and this is where we're going to dig, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Not only that, I want you to notice this. Underline where he talks about the signet ring. I told you about that verse right there. I want you to understand the symbolism that's happening right here in this moment. A signet ring in the Old Testament always granted power. And what you've had right here in this moment, don't miss this. Pharaoh comes to Joseph. Joseph comes to Pharaoh from prison. And what Pharaoh does is Pharaoh uses his authority, Birch, to remove Joseph's chains he takes off Joseph's chains and he replaces it with a signet ring which represents the new power and authority he is going to walk in. What does that sound like? I'll remind you, the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. That when you came to Jesus, you came as Joseph did. You came wearing chains. But when you come to Jesus, it's even greater than coming to Pharaoh. When you come to Jesus and you truly repent and give your life to him, he removes those chains. And he doesn't just give you a ring to wear. He puts the literal spirit of God in your body. <laughs> and when you've been saved, you know when the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you. You know it. You can sense it. You walk in that power. My question is, have you ever had that? Lauren, 
praise God for her testimony, got all the way to discipleship and realized it had not happened for her. For me, 20 some odd years believing that I was a Christian, really thinking that I was walking with God and realizing face down at 21 years old at a public park that I didn't know God. I had no fruit. I had no works. I had no evidence for my salvation. <laughs> if I claim to be a basketball player, shouldn't you see me on the basketball court every once in a while? And if you're a believer, shouldn't you be walking with God more than once in a while? <laughs> what happens is Jesus takes off those chains. He gives you that signet ring and he gives you power and authority to walk in. Power that no man can take away. Let me tell you something. This, I want, I want you to hear me. This is not in my notes. This is not the true first time Joseph has been given power. Pharaoh did not begin Joseph's source of power. Joseph has had power in the pit. He's had power in Potiphar's house. He had power in prison. You know why? Because the spirit of God was on this man, so he had power all the way from the beginning. This is just confirmation from man. <laughs> man does not decide whether you receive power from God or not. You decide that when you repent or not repent. I don't know who that's for, but God will take away your chains, and he will give you the power to walk in the Holy Spirit. Sadly, a lot of Christians don't understand the Holy Spirit. We don't. We talk about the Father. We talk about creation. We certainly talk about Jesus, but we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of Christians who don't understand the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's sort of a big deal. I mean, seriously, I don't want to put you on the spot tonight. I'm smiling. We're just talking. But if you've been a believer for a little while here, and someone came up to you and said, hey, what does it really look like to walk in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with it? If someone came up, up to you and said, Rebecca, what, what's the difference between the Old Testament Spirit and the New Testament Spirit? Would you have an answer? Would you know what to say? I'm not saying every day is a pop quiz, but if the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in us, we should know something about him. We should be familiar with the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I want you to help you understand this. We're going to put this on the screen, and I want you to write this down, and please keep this with you. Let's define the work of the Holy Spirit. First off, the work of the Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and in the church. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. You have to understand, the Holy Spirit is manifesting the presence and the power of God in this world and in the church. Secondly to that, I want you to write this down. The Spirit is the part of the Trinity that Scripture most often shows as present to do God's work in the world. In other words, the Spirit is the part of the Trinity that is absolutely most present with us now. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So right here you see these two things. Number one, the Spirit manifests the active presence of God in the world and the church. And then the Spirit is the most present of the Trinity. So let me ask you a question. If the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to activate and bring God's presence into this world and he is the most present, that means God is actively and very often wanting you to be aware of his presence. Isn't that amazing? There's a lot of people in our lives who would never take the time to come over and check on us on how we're doing. There's a lot of so-called friends you have who would never make time to encourage you or to ask you how your soul's doing. And yet what God is doing every day is he is manifesting his spirits to try to make you aware that he is with you. The God of the universe. It's humbling for me to think about that there's people in my life I beg and plead and would love to be around more. But God is right there and I don't make time for him. And then the last one I want you to write down for this is that from the very beginning of creation... We have seen that the Holy Spirit's work is to complete and sustain what God the Father has planned and what Jesus has begun. For example, we see this in Genesis 1-2 when the Spirit was moving over the face of the waters. We'll keep that up on the screen for a minute. The very beginning of creation, you see his role is to complete and sustain what God the Father has planned and what Jesus Christ has begun. Now we have this Holy Spirit dwelling inside of our bodies. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of your body. But if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of your body, which means God is actively wanting your heart and your mind to be aware of his presence. Let me ask you a question. I'm not trying to hit you. But when's the last time you were really aware that God was with you? When's the last time? If it's true that the Holy Spirit is absolutely present, then why does it feel like we're not very aware of him? 
I'm just saying, it just seems like there's a gap in America when it comes to the Holy Spirit and it comes to church. Man, I just feel like we're missing it in some form or some fashion. Now, one of the main roles of the Spirit is to empower people. One of the main roles right here is what the Spirit does is it empowers people. That's the great thing is when God brings his Holy Spirit in your body, what he is doing is he is trying, faith, to empower you, to give you power. Now, I want to clarify here, and this is digging. In Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit come upon people. But we don't necessarily see the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling within people, which is a big difference. That's a big deal. You don't see that in the Old Testament like you do in the New Testament. Now, let me clarify, and this is very big. It is inaccurate, though, to say that we don't see the Holy Spirit working within people in the Old Testament. That is not scriptural. To say that we don't see the Holy Spirit working within is wrong. Now, we don't see a permanent indwelling like in the New Testament and like today, but I want to show you some stuff, and I want you to take these references with you. If you're ever doing any kind of ministry out there, people are going to ask you about the Holy Spirit. You need to understand some of this stuff, and I'm fine to bring it to you. Right here, there are verses that talk about the Spirit working within people in the Old Testament. One of them is Joseph, but another one, let's put this on the screen. Numbers 27, 18 says, The Lord replied to Moses, Take Joshua, a man who has the Spirit, what? In him. And lay your hands on him. It says right here, a man who has the Spirit in him. Now, I'm not saying that's a permanent indwelling, but the Spirit's working within. I'm not going to read these, but I want you to have these references. Other times we see the Old Testament talk about a, a work within is, number one, Ezekiel. Write this down. This won't be on the screen. Ezekiel in chapter 2. You want some homework? Here's some homework. Some of you, your final's done, so I'm going to give you some homework. You go look up these verses. Ezekiel chapter 2, you'll see where it talks about the Spirit working within. Daniel, let me see what chapter I wrote down. Daniel chapter 4, and then Micah chapter 3. All described as having the Spirit working within. I think that's fascinating. And a lot of times, I want you to hear me on this. This is very important. What's up with you, Caleb? When the Holy Spirit came upon someone in the Old Testament, it oftentimes came upon someone, watch this, are you ready for this, Jake? Ready? To accomplish something. When the Holy Spirit of God came upon someone in the Old Testament, it came upon them to help them accomplish something. You know why the Holy Spirit's always described as active? Have you ever heard that before? The Holy Spirit is active, living and active. The Word of God is living and active. You know why the Holy Spirit is described as active? Because God is an active God. God is not a passive God. God is not a passive God. You want to know why some Christians have a hard time relating to the Holy Spirit? They're a passive Christian, and they don't relate to an active Holy Spirit. Man, y'all going to wake me up, man. Y'all going to wake me up. Listen, if you are a passive Christian, you're going to struggle to relate or listen or walk with an active God. I'll tell you something, man. I've, I went and tried to go running and working out with Dakota not too long ago. He had me lifting weights a little bit, man. I was excited. I was like, yes, we'll finally tone up. My wife's going to be happy. This is going to be great for her. Our anniversary's coming up. Get a little bit of tone on my arms. And I got in there with Dakota, and I started throwing them weights up. And I, yeah, 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 like 20 pounds. I started throwing them things up, and I realized, like, this isn't for me. I was like, this isn't for me. I'm like, ah, you know, trying to push that bar up. And I realized, I can't hang with this dude. <laughs> Like, I'm not on this dude's level. This dude is an active weightlifter, and I am a very passive weightlifter. I lift the donut out the box, and I lift the remote to change the channel. Like, I couldn't keep up because I was passive. Let me tell you something. Watch. That's how it often is with Christians and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active, accomplishing things, moving, working in people's lives. And when a Christian is so passive, when it comes to the Holy Spirit calling them to do something, they can't relate. They're out of shape. <laughs> Like literally, just as we work out and train our bodies physically, if you are not allowing God to work out and train your body spiritually, you're going to have a hard time keeping up because God is active. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you look at the Bible, you see an active God. You see an active God. You see God leading Israel by a pillar of, of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. You see God leading them. You see God separating the Red Sea. You see God calling Nehemiah to go rebuild Jerusalem. I mean, you see an active God. So here's your application. If you and me are passive, lazy Christians, we're going to have a hard time keeping up with the Holy Spirit. But if, if you would retrain your mind, 
If you would not let your mind conform to this world, but allow your mind to conform to Scripture. If you would wake up at a decent time in the morning and open your word and and dig into it and read and study and pray and memorize a little bit of Scripture. If you would do those things, all of a sudden you start just like with Dakota. I could get on his level. I could could work and be active and, and be able to jive with him a little bit. It's amazing how it supernaturally works like that. You start getting into a rhythm with God. You start understanding the Holy Spirit. You start now walking in a purpose, and that's what it's looked like to have joy. You start walking with God. You're on his pace. You're on his timing, and he is leading, and he is guiding you. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to somebody tonight. Some of us, our application is we need to get in the gym, and I'm not talking about weights. I'm talking about the word. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about making spiritual gains. Ain't a single part of that in my notes. I don't know who that's for. God is active. And in the Old Testament, when God's spirit arrived, God's mission arrived with it. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit of God arrives in your heart, God's mission just arrived with it. Hello. Deco, you still with me in the back, man? They a little quiet up here. You still with me in the back? When the Holy Spirit of God arrives, God's mission arrives with it. In other words, when Joshua was called to lead them into the promised land, it was the Holy Spirit of God that came upon Joshua and gave him wisdom and leadership skills at a time when he needed it most. The Spirit came upon Joshua when he needed to accomplish something. The Spirit arrives, the mission arrives. I want you to understand something. For an entire year, I get it. I understand, man. Let me relate with you guys. I get it, man. At 20 years old, my plan as a college student was to come to Bellevue every week, every week. But I was not a Christian, and I didn't want to be a Christian. I hated Christianity. I hated church. I hated everything about it. I was against it five years ago. And my plan was to come to Bellevue every Sunday morning, and here's the reason why. And I did for a full year. came, I sat in the back of the services. I, I, I learned. I, I stood there during worship with my hands in my pocket. I didn't know what to do like some of you. And my plan was to watch, adopt Christian values and leadership skills but not adopt the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That was my plan. I wanted to lead. I wanted to be strong. But I wanted to do it my way. And God, you just give me the nuggets. I knew that God said, man, love your neighbor as yourself. I knew all these things as a kid. I was like, I'm going to get it without conforming to the Holy Spirit. And over that year, I realized very quickly I was humbled every single Sunday. I realized there is no leading with any real purpose if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God. There's none. Let me say something. I don't care how hard you work to be a great leader. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, you are not impacting anybody eternally. You're impacting people temporarily. So I've repented of my sins. After a year, that's how I got to that park. I realized if I'm ever going to live a life of purpose, I'm going to have to repent of these sins, believe in Jesus, and receive the Holy Spirit inside of my body. That's why it's not weird for me to talk about the Holy Spirit because I walk with him. I understand what it's like, and I want you to as well. The Holy Spirit is not something foreign. It's not a myth. It's not a ghost. The Holy Spirit is God living inside your body. (laughs) I'm smiling. God is inside of your body calling you to live like him every day. He talked to you today. Did you hear him? The number one way he talks to you is through Scripture. If you and me ain't getting in Scripture, we're not hearing from God. This whole book, some of you think it's a textbook. I got news for you. This is not a textbook. This is the divine revelation of your creator and your purpose right here. I need to keep going. Active. I wrote this down. I hope that it blesses you. A leader is not successful when they obtain power. A leader is successful when they pour out power from the Holy Spirit. Leadership has been very misconstrued in our culture. We think... Once I get this job, this if I just mentality, if I just get this job, if I just get this platform, if I just make it up on the view stage, if I just get here, if I just get there, then I'll be seen as a leader. Then I'll obtain power. Leadership in a Christ-like way is not anything about obtaining power. It's about pouring out power from the Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit anoint David to be the king of Israel. We see the Spirit empowering Joseph to be the ruler over Egypt. And then you get to the New Testament, and today we see a little bit different. We don't just see the Spirit coming upon someone. We see the Spirit permanently indwelling within believers. I want you to look at these verses with me if you don't mind. I love these verses. I get excited about Scripture, man. Like, it's cool to do these little stupid illustrations, but I get excited about Scripture. Y'all get excited about Scripture? About God's Word? Man, uh, Colossians 1, 19 to 20. Look at this with me on the screen. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. We can keep this on the screen for a moment. 
talking about the Spirit dwelling in Jesus, life, everything. God was pleased to have the fullness of life dwell in Jesus. Watch this. Because Jesus was 100% sinless, God was 100% pleased to put the Spirit in him. It's because Jesus was 100% sinless that he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. It's supernatural. When you choose, and I'm just talking to you, we're just having a conversation. When you choose sin, you're choosing the opposite of God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit, God himself, his nature is righteous, sovereign, sinless. And when you choose sin, you are choosing the opposite. You cannot live a lifestyle of sin and live a lifestyle in the spirit. You have to repent. And I'm just telling you, as somebody who's been walking with God for five years, take it for what you will. The more I choose to repent, the more I pray, the more I give up sin in my life, the more I choose God over this world, the more in tune I am with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because you start looking like Jesus. His spirit starts transforming you. You and I may not be sinless, but I want you to understand, we have the resources inside of us of a sinless Savior. <laughs> I'll say it one more time. You and I may not be sinless, but we do have the resources of a sinless Savior living inside of our body. And that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's verse 19. All his fullness dwell in him. And then I love verse 20 of this as well. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Make some noise if you're grateful for the cross tonight. Amen. Jesus has reconciled us to himself. The spirit used to dwell in the temple in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus came down to this earth, the spirit dwelt in Jesus' body, his temple. When he said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it. He wasn't talking about the literal temple. He was talking about his body. He said, destroy this temple. I will raise it in three days. In other words, crucify me. Nail me to a cross. I will raise this in three days. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And once it raised Jesus from the dead, all bets were off. <laughs> Like Jesus has now allowed us access to the Father. He's allowed us access to the Spirit. So when Jesus dies on the cross from the, for our sins, resurrects from the grave and ascends to heaven, now the Holy Spirit of God gets to come down and dwell within every single believer. That's the glory of the Jesus we serve. He made a way when there was no way. <laughs> Woo! <coughs> This verse right here shows it ever more clearly. John 14, verse 15. I want you to write these verses down. If you love me, you will keep my commands. <laughs> That's about as straight up as you can get. I mean, can we go back to that verse just for one minute? I'm so sorry. I'm, if you love me, you will keep my commands. In other words, those who love me do what I say. Those who love me seek to follow after me. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. Now watch closely these verses here. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because, here it is right here, it's very important. He remains with you, and then Jesus talks future tense, will be in you. You see the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Spirit of God goes from dwelling on people and in temples to now the glory of what Christ has done on the cross. The veil is torn. The power of the Holy Ghost lives inside you and me. That's an amazing thing. Now I want to tell you something. A lot of college students, they burn out in ministry and they burn out in their faith. I've experienced burnout. I know you probably have as well. A lot of college students burn out in their faith, and they burn out in ministry. They start their freshman year. A lot of them are on fire for Christ sometimes. And then as the time goes on, as the years go on, they don't step out of their comfort zone. They don't allow courage to be placed in them from the Holy Spirit. They never step out and do something that makes them the slightest bit uncomfortable. And as college goes on, they become more and more withdrawn. They burn out. They do a whole lot of ministry, and they still don't find their joy. I want you to understand why. Here's the why, and you need to take this with you. This will not be on the screen. People burn out in ministry when they don't have an interior life to support their busy exterior life. I'll say it one more time. Christians burn out when they don't have an interior life to support their busy exterior life. And I wrote this down. I was just thinking about it over the weekend. They are, they are, to put it in an illustration for you, they are like a beautiful house. 
Think about a house, Neely. They are like a beautiful house which has no furniture, no appliances, and no people inside it. From the outside, it looks like it's full of life, salsa, but once you get inside, there's no support and there's no depth to that house. They spent, God bless you, they spend all of their time working on the outside of that house and decorating the outside of that house because that's what people see when they drive by or walk by. And even they feel good when they're looking at the outside of that house, but they never work on the inside of that house. They never add to the inside of that house. Why? Because most people don't see that. So they focus everything they have on the exterior, but they're not focused on the interior. So when they do go inside that house, they are alone. They don't feel comfortable to invite people inside that house because if people go inside that house, they'll realize there's a lack of work that's been done there. So they don't invite people inside that house. They want to keep people on the outside. They have no couch to rest. They have no resources to cook. And they've done all this work on the outside, and they go inside and they burn out. That's what happens when Christians cut corners with their personal relationship with Jesus. That's exactly what it's like. I cannot give you a clearer image than that. I want you to understand, they, they decorate the outside of their life. So anyone who passes by, it appears to be full of life. They decorate and they work and they grind on the outside of that house. But they don't invite the people in their life to go deeper, to come inside, to go past just the outside. Why? There's a lack of vulnerability in their friendships. Their friendships aren't real. Their friendships have no depth. Why? Because when you haven't allowed God to work on you on the inside, you're scared of people coming in and seeing it. I've been there. I relate to you. When you have worked so hard to put up this appearance, to put up this concept, this idea, and yet God has not done that work inside of you, you don't want people coming inside. You're ashamed. You get embarrassed. You don't want them to see the real hurt. You don't want them to see the real pain. You don't want them to see the lack of God in your life. So you go to stuff like discipleship. You go to stuff like The View, and every time somebody asks you how you're doing, you know exactly the right answer to say, oh, I'm doing good. And you put up this front, and it's just this front yard of this house that looks so beautiful like it's all put together, but you're so lonely in the inside of that house. You have no couch to rest. In other words, you're not close enough to Jesus for him to be your rest. You have nothing to cook. In other words, you're not close enough to the Bible for it to be your cookbook that supplies you and renews you when you're restored. And you spend your entire life with a house that is beautiful and glorious on the outside, but you get ashamed and, and you hurt every time you're inside that house because it has no depth. It has nothing on the outside. I have just summarized our culture in literally one illustration. We want the outside of everything we do to look perfectly put together. Like we have got it all figured out. I am the perfect Christian. I tell a little bit of my struggles, but I don't struggle like he or she does. And we put it up. And then we don't invite people to go deeper with us. And we're missing godly friendships and godly relationships over and over and over again. Listen. There are people who spend their entire 20s doing that. There are people who go from college to 26 to 27 to 28 to 29 to 30, and they have a family, and they've never let that wall come down. They've never invited God to do work on the inside of the house. It's always been gardening and decorating on the outside. You will never find the fulfillment and the joy that you are looking for until you let God in on the inside. What's amazing is when you open that front door of that house, when you go to God and you open up the, the outside of that house, in other words, when you invite Jesus truly into your life, literally the Holy Spirit of God comes into your house. He comes into your heart. And what he does is he starts adding the depth of what you need. He starts adding the resources of what you need. He starts giving you power. He starts giving you identity. You start understanding who you are in Christ. You start understanding what you're supposed to do with your life. Things in scripture start to make sense. He gives you a depth to your prayer life. All of a sudden it's not just praying before a meal. It's praying all the time. You start doing stuff like prayer cards. You start fasting. You start having depth to your Christian life. And all of a sudden, when you're in that house, you want everybody to come in. You want everybody to be a part of it. You want the people in your life to go deep in your relationships because no longer has the devil let you be ashamed of what you have on the inside. Now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you know who you are in Christ. doesn't matter what they think of the outside of the house because you know who you are on the inside. That's what happens when you trust Jesus and you allow the Spirit of God to work on you on the inside. That's exactly what it looks like. But this generation won't get it. I'm smiling. This generation won't get it, man. And I hate it for every single one of us. I hate it for every millennial. I hate it for Gen Z because we all agree in here and we all clap in here. But we walk out those doors and for the next six days until Monday, a lot of what we're thinking about is appearance, appearance, appearance. And we're not thinking about truly letting God 
inside our temple, inside our heart. Your life will change forever if you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to do a work in you. Stuff like FOMO, fearing that you might miss out on something else, stuff like worrying, stuff like insecurities about your body. When God's working inside of you, those things start to go away. There's no amount of worrying you can do to overcome that pain or that insecurity, but the Holy Spirit of God can fulfill it like that. Here's your application. You are a temple. You are a house. <laughs> Some of us are a mansion. <laughs> Some of us a little bit bigger house. Some of us are just a box. Don't matter. God's Holy Spirit can dwell in a mansion. God's Holy Spirit can dwell in a brown box. <laughs> Wherever your temple is, God is trying to do a work internally. And once you let him do a work internally, that's when he begins to do a work through you externally will you let him will you let him you hear that silence in the room right now I know what that is that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to people in this room right now I don't know what he's saying to you I'm not a prophet I'm not going to guess but for some of you you know God has been knocking on the door of your heart trying to get in that house for a long time some of you, you've been fighting this world. You've been fighting these battles. You've been going through this, this life, these trials alone. And God has been right there knocking on the door of your heart, waiting for you to repent, waiting for you to give up that sin, waiting for you to invite him in. What's stopping him? The outside of the house don't matter when you have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside. And I want you to know, if you're in this room and you want to talk about that more, come up here to the front after the service, and we would love to talk to you. We're going to ask you to have a mask on. But when you come up here, we would love to talk to you more. Some of our college students would love to talk to you more about what that looks like. Look with me at verse 46 as we continue through. So the first thing we see here, first thing we see is that God put his spirit on Joseph. What happens next? Look with me at verse 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land of Egypt. Can I just pause right there? Excuse me. Joseph traveled throughout the land of Egypt. Can I tell you something? Joseph, as far as we know from this verse, I can't read too much into this, but Joseph didn't sit in the palace. Joseph was traveling around Egypt. Let me tell you something. Joseph was around the people. Joseph got out from that which was comfortable and made his way around that which was uncomfortable. He got to know people. Can I ask you just a quick application? Are you clicky? Is your friend group clicky? Is you and your friend group, are y'all inclusive where you include people or are you exclusive where you exclude people? Are you with people who are different than you, that think different than you, that talk different than you, that look different than you, that are a different skin color than you? Are you around anybody like that, or is it just I stay with my clique and I roll with my people and I never branch outside of that? That's not looking like Jesus. Jesus touched people of all skin color and backgrounds, and whether they were on his social status or not, Jesus went to those people. Are you with the people? Are you and me loving people who are different than us? I can't answer that question for you. Verse 47, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced outstanding harvests. Now Joseph, look at what he does here. He gathers all the excess food in the land of Egypt during the seven years and puts it in cities. He's gritting, he's grinding, he's storing up grain. He puts the food in every city from the fields around it. Joseph is storing up grain for anyone who will need it. Verse 49, Joseph stored up grain in such abundance like the sand of the sea that he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. So once God puts his spirit in you, number two, God put Joseph to work. <laughs> the very next thing we see is that God put Joseph to work. Can I get an amen for work? Amen? <laughs> Some of us haven't worked many jobs, but God put Joseph to work. God had given Joseph his spirit in order to accomplish God's mission. Now, Joseph stores up grain for seven years. Now, that's some work. I don't want you to miss this here. This is very important. After all Joseph has been through, I mean, let's level with him for a minute here. I mean, seriously, let's level with him. 
After all that Joseph has been through, being thrown into a pit, thrown into prison, after all these things, what does he end up with? You would think, a lot of us would think that after going through all that, God would finally, when the plan came together, it would be comfort. Oh, God's going to pay Joseph back for all that he went through. God's going to get him. And, and once he makes it through the pit, if he can just make it through the prison, if he can just make it through Potiphar's house, if he can just get through those things, then finally he'll have his rest. He'll have his comfort. God will set him up nice on an island somewhere with his feet up and, and some grapes and some, and some fruit where he's just living large and he's playing video games and he's relaxing. A lot of us really do think that if we just go through a trial, there's, there's comfort awaiting us. There's supernatural comfort, but God does not always provide that earthly comfort <laughs> Because the very first thing that's followed up with Joseph after all of that is literally work. <laughs> work. Think about that. That's a crazy concept in our minds. But after all he's been through, God gives him work. I love this. And this is so true. I want you to understand. The pit and the prison were not preparation for retirement. They were preparation for the assignment. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Somebody's with me. The pit and the prison were not preparation for retirement. They were preparation for the assignment. When will you and I realize that the trials we go through are not preparing us for a cushy, comfortable ending on this earth, but they're preparing us for an assignment, a task. God has just given Joseph his assignment, what he is supposed to do. And let me tell you something. Nobody, nobody gives tougher assignments than God does. If you look at Scripture, God is very, very good about giving weak people hard tasks. Just foreshadowing here, just a heads up. God's very good at giving weak people hard tasks. And you know why God can do that? You know why God can give a weak person a hard task? Because there's nobody else who's going to give you the same power that God gives you through the Holy Spirit to accomplish that task. <laughs> God can give you a hard task because he's going to give you a Holy Spirit that's even tougher. <laughs> Like there's no task, there's no assignment God could give you that he does not back you up with the Holy Spirit to accomplish that task. Listen, when Moses was standing at the Red Sea, there's nothing Moses can physically do to separate those waters. He can get an oar and try, but it's not going to work. There's nothing Moses could do in that situation. He's overwhelmed. One might say God gave him more than he can handle. Our culture would hate to hear that. We always want to say God won't give you more than you can handle. Oh, God wouldn't do you like that. Tell Moses that. When Moses is standing at the Red Sea, you're not going to be standing there saying, hey, Moses, God won't give you more than you can handle. Moses would have been like, yes, this is. Do you see this Red Sea? Do you see the Egyptians? Do you see Pihararoth, this rocky range of land? Do you see these forts and garrisons? Like, he would have told you, this is too much for me. There's nowhere to go. But then what does he say in Exodus 14? He says, but you know what? Stand firm and watch what God will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see them again. Moses realizes that just as God has given him a hard task, just as God has led him to this Red Sea, God is going to provide a way. What you have to understand is God may give you an impossible task for you that then is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not in my notes. I will. I'll say it one more time. God, I'm trying to remember it now. God may give you an impossible task that is later made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us view evangelism as impossible. What if I talk to a Muslim? What if I talk to an atheist? What if I talk to a Satanist? When you get in those situations, you have to prepare. You have to study on the front end. But you trust that the Holy Spirit of God will speak through you the truth of the gospel that he has you to share in that moment. As you go on Thanksgiving this week, you're going to be around a lot of family members potentially. And you know what? Some of you are so afraid of sharing Jesus, of sharing your faith with your family. Let me just ask you a question. Do you trust the Holy Spirit? Do you trust God? That he would speak through you in that moment so supernaturally? I, I can't answer that question for you. But God gives hard tasks to weak people. And I love 2 Corinthians 12, 19. Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. God says, my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power will reside in me. All you got to do is stop trying to hide your weaknesses and start realizing that God will work and get glory through your weaknesses. God will work through your weaknesses. If Christ has saved you, God has called you. If Christ has saved you, Christ has called you. You have a calling. You know what it is? To glorify him 
and extend his kingdom. I wrote this down. It blessed me. If you have received salvation from the king, you've also received work to do for the kingdom. (laughs) If you have received salvation from the king, Kylie, you've also received work to do from the king. I didn't forget you making some noise for the title earlier. And what I mean is that work does not earn your salvation. That work, though, is a sign of your salvation. I want to tell you something very quickly. A few years ago, when I was a student at the University of Memphis, I was walking through campus. I had just gotten saved, Bree, not too long ago. I had just repented of my sins. And I was a junior in college, and I was trying to live out my faith, as some of you are. A lot of you are U of M students. I was trying to live out my faith. I was raw. I mean, I got saved out of a lot of sin. I got saved out of a lot of darkness. Depression, insecurities, I struggled with marijuana. I mean, God called me out of it, big time. And I was trying to figure out how to live for him. And I had a fire inside of me. I had a fire inside of me to, to tell every single person I could about Jesus, but I was scared. I was nervous. And I'll never forget this day that I was walking through the University of Memphis campus. And there was this tall guy about to pass me, and he was on the phone. And I'll never forget this moment because as I was walking through campus, God spoke to me. A.K.A. through the Holy Spirit of God, he impressed on my heart scripture for this moment. What God told me to do was introduce myself to this guy. And I made a huge mistake. I don't know if you've ever done this. I made a huge mistake when God told me to introduce myself to him. You know what I did? Are you ready for this? I said no. Woo! You want to talk about a worse place to be? Saying no to God. That's a dangerous place to be. Hint, Jonah. In this moment, I told God no. I'm literally arguing back and forth with God. I'm like, no, God, he's on the phone. And as I told God, as I made up the excuse, as I said he's on the phone, as clear as day, the Holy Spirit will put it on my heart. The Holy Spirit of God told me this. He said, I'm aware. And then God told me as clear as day. He said, I don't need you to tell me what he is or isn't doing. Daniel, I've just told you what to do. And that's how God operates. You tell me it's not Satan telling me to introduce myself and share the gospel with them. It's not my flesh because I'm scared. It's God in communicating supernaturally to my heart to stop this man and share Jesus with him. And I just want to tell you something, man. Here's the truth of it. God is a talker. God is a talker. God is talking to you every day just as he talked to me in that moment. And every single thing he says is going to be scriptural. He is not going to give you any new revelation apart from Scripture that, does not be, that is not backed up by the Word of God itself. He's going to talk to you primarily through Scripture, but then also he's going to speak to you through the presence of the Spirit on your heart. I told our search team this. When it came to life decisions, when I was praying through whether I was going to marry my wife or not two years ago, four years ago, when I was praying through dating her, there's no verse I read in Galatians that said, Daniel, you need to date Hannah. Like, there's no verse that said, Daniel, you're going to be the college pastor. There's no verse in Scripture that says that. However, how do I know God spoke to me? Because everything I was reading in Scripture, he affirmed my pursuit. But then if I can tell you two big ways, number one, the Holy Spirit put it on my heart that this was the one he wanted me to pursue. It's supernatural. You walk with God. He gives you clarity. He speaks to you. And then other people through the Spirit in them started affirming it in me saying, yeah, Daniel, I think that's what you're supposed to do. I think God might be in this. But let me tell you something. If you're not in this and if you're not in prayer, you're never going to be able to discern the Spirit of God in your life and on your heart. You're going to struggle. You can't do it. You have to walk with God, spend time in the Word and pray. And once you do that, it's amazing. The Spirit of God will start speaking to you. God's a talker. We walk around thinking we're far from God. The problem is not that God is not talking. The problem is Christians are not listening. Christians are silent. Christians have Q-tips in their ear. (laughs) We are not listening to God, but he talked to you today. As I was on campus, I finally broke down. I said yes to God. I stopped this man. I said, excuse me, sir. (laughs) He's a tall guy. He's kind of nervous. I was like, man, I I know you're on the phone, but uh, I just want to stop and introduce myself and Tell you about Jesus. I was raw. I mean, that's all I knew to say. I was raw. Rough around the edges. I didn't have my perfect gospel presentation. I just said, man, I'd love to talk to you and tell you about Jesus and tell you a little bit about the view. So I was a college student. I'll never forget this moment. Right here at U of M campus, one of the darkest schools that's lost. This man was on the phone. He goes, I'll call you right back. Hangs up the phone, puts it in his pocket, looks at me dead in the eye. Everything around me has stopped, it feels like. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, man, where is this going? You know, like, please don't be an atheist. I'm not prepared for that conversation yet. Please don't be an atheist. I'm not prepared for that conversation yet. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> Just let him be a nice believer, Lord, you know, praying these prayers. Like, 
please say you know Jesus? And he looks at me and he goes, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Like, what is it? Are you an angel? <laughs> you know, like, where is this going? Like, God? Like, you know, like he goes, you're not going to believe this. I was on the phone with my mom. And I wrote this down, what he says that I, I didn't want to mess it up for you guys. Because I've never forgotten this moment. He said, I was on the phone with my mom. As I was walking by you, a second before you stopped me, I just told my mom this. I said, Mom, I want to get out of this sinful lifestyle so badly, but I just cannot find any godly community or friends at this college. And he looks at me and goes, then you stopped me. He goes, hey, tell me a little bit more. He's like, I'm new to this school. I've been struggling to find community. I've been struggling with sin. And then he looks at me, dead in the eyes, and he goes, so tell me about the view. And I'm like, bro, it's godly community. Like, this is what you're looking for. I was amazed. I was like, bro, the view. <laughs> like, come on, man. We worship. We preach. I got friends that you need to meet. And it was crazy standing there in this moment because I realized that I didn't know this was about to happen. I didn't understand why God was telling me to talk to this guy. And as soon as I obey and listen to God and speak on God's behalf, God knew the whole situation before I did anyway. Let me tell you something. When God talks to you and tells you to speak to others on his behalf, do it. <laughs> Because you don't know what he's lining up supernaturally. That guy came to The View that night. That Monday he came to The View, got involved, was here for two years as a leader in this ministry. And every time I looked at him, I had a literal tear form in my eye because all I could see was an answered prayer. I looked at him, I still remember that guy that was passing by campus who I almost told God no. Who I almost said I won't share with. And then his life was changed because of the community I got to be a part of. Do you believe in stuff like that? Do you believe that every person passing you by has a soul, has an eternal destiny? Because I was this close to saying no to God, and there have been many times I've said no to God. Let me tell you something. Every time you say no to God, you are missing a divine appointment. Now, before I go to my last point, here's my warning. Do not, do not use God to get something that you want. In other words, there's been a lot of people in human history who have used God's name when God really isn't involved. Don't go up to somebody that you think is cute, that you think is fine, and go up to them and say, God told me to talk to you. <laughs> That's not how it works. I'm not talking about you using God's name to put yourself in a position to talk to somebody you think is cute. I'm talking about you humbly and selflessly doing the Lord's work because I already know how it is for some of us. Some of us will walk out tonight and think, oh, pastor just gave me the green light. I can do whatever I want as long as I put God's name on it. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. A lot of people in, in Bible history, human history have gotten in trouble for using God's name without God being involved in that situation. Don't fabricate it. Don't make it up, and I've got to move on. God is a talker. He's talking to you every day. Number three Let's look at verse 53 right before I give it to you. We're going to see the outline that's coming together. Verse 53. Then the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in every land, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When the whole land of Egypt was stricken with famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told all of Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Verse 57. Every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. Wow. Number three, God's purpose for Joseph's work was people. Number three is God's purpose for Joseph's work was people. Wow. <clears throat> because Joseph obeys and works his tail off for seven years, he's able to provide and sell grain. He grits and he grinds, and he's able to sell grain to any and all who need it. The work Joseph just did saved the lives of thousands and thousands of people. I wrote this down. I thought this was really beautiful. As you talk about Joseph's story, we're going to end it next week. But as you talk about Joseph's story, I thought this was a very beautiful thing to end this part with. The one who lost everything in a pit and had no resources has been blessed by God to provide resources for all in need. Isn't that beautiful? We're going to have this on the screen. The one who lost everything in a pit and had no resources has been blessed by God to provide resources for all people in need. I just want to tell you something. God brought you the gospel because it was on its way to somebody else. God saved you with the intent to save someone else. Every time God communicates truth, he intends for that truth to travel. 
And he brought the gospel to you because you have a mission to take the gospel to somebody else. Joseph had worked and stored up that which he needed to provide for hungry people. Let me tell you something. You and I live in a world that is filled with hungry people. Some of them are here tonight. And if you have the gospel, you have the medicine, you have the food, you have the source of life. He is calling you to provide it. What we see now, which is very cool when you look at this text. Here's the main point of the whole sermon. I told you I was giving it to you at the end. I told you I stuck to my word. The main point is this right here. When God puts his spirit in you, he also calls you to work. And the purpose of your work will always be the saving of people's souls. Isn't that amazing? We're going to keep that on the screen for a moment. When God puts his spirit in you, and if you're a believer, he put, it, he put his spirit inside of you. He also calls you to work. And the purpose of your work, your career, your job, your marriage, everything that you have, the purpose will always be the saving of people's souls, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them to repent. Let's all stand up for a moment. I know that many of you are still taking notes, and you can go ahead and get that last statement down. I'll say it one more time if you need it. When God puts his spirit in you, he also calls you to work. And the purpose of your work will always be the saving of people's souls.